Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We will tackle one of the hottest topics in Hamilton, area rating. Hamilton's downtown entertainment deal is no secret, according to the mayor. Speaking of the mayor's chair in Hamilton, Bob Bratino wants his old job back. Finally, a new daycare deal for Ontario. We'll bring you the latest from the war in Ukraine. And Will Smith has apologized to Chris Rock for his Oscars slap. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Big reductions to wards one through eight and big increases for all the suburban municipalities. So that creates a winner and a loser. The whole thing is very upsetting. It's going to cause a war. And I would like to just keep the peace. Don't have winners and losers. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. That is Ancaster Councillor Lloyd Ferguson. Not a big fan of ending the controversial taxation policy called area rating here in Hamilton. The debate, however, is going to be one for the next city council to deal with. But it has a lot of people thinking, when did area rating begin What are the origins of this taxation plan? Marvin Ryder is a professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and was on the transition board during amalgamation where area rating was born. Marvin, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be with you. So as the chair of the transition board way back when, how did area rating come about? Well, typically what happens as cities grow is that they annex a little land from the area around it. So you can imagine a city in the middle of a county and we need to add a little land so they annex some, but the county survives, it continues on, it loses a little something, but it keeps going. In this case, uh, when the amalgamation happened in 2001, there wasn't going to be enough left of the more rural county for it to have a viable operation. So the province made the decision that the whole shooting match, the old county of Wentworth would all get amalgamated with the city of Hamilton. And that left an interesting problem. There were lots of people in fairly urbanized areas who were getting a standard set of services from the new city, but there were also a very relatively small number of people in more rural areas who were not. So a simple example, Rick, if you think of the bus service, uh, if you lived in downtown Hamilton, buses were going by, you had access to many routes. But if you were in Flamborough, if you were in Glanbrook, If you're in the rural areas of Ancaster or Stony Creek, there were no buses going down your street. And so the question said, why should you be paying for a service that you don't get? And the province then invented this concept called area rating, which would allow a municipality to say, okay, these people get, let's say, 80% of the services. So you're going to pay 80% of the tax rate. These people get 100% of the services. They'll do 100% of the tax rate. Now, one last thing on this is that when they came up with this idea, it was not to last forever. And so their recommendation was that roughly every five years, certainly no more than every 10 years, you would take a look at this and say, is the service mix still the same? As cities grow, as even in rural areas, you add subdivisions, what have you, maybe the services change over time, and thus you have to change the area rating as you offer people more services. And really, it is time. It's been 21 years since we did the amalgamation back in 2000, really time to look at that again. There were uh, several other communities who were merging as well, if you will. Um, Were they using area rating as well, and are they still doing so? The short answer was yes. Now, back in 2001 is uh, Hamilton, Sudbury, Ottawa, 
And then in Haldeman, Norfolk, there was a divorce, breaking them into two separate communities, Haldeman and Norfolk. But then within those areas, Haldeman and Norfolk, there was an amalgamation of those cities. Uh, so Ottawa would most famously be maybe equivalent to Hamilton in terms of its usage of area rating. And again, as it has grown, and it's probably grown faster than Hamilton has in the last 20 years, this area rating gets revised. And uh, as Councillor Ferguson said, when you do take a group of people and you say, okay, now it's time for you to start paying more taxes, nobody likes it, but the justification is, but the reason why you're paying more taxes is you've got more services. Today in Hamilton, there are still some rural areas that are not getting equivalent services, and they should not have their area rating changed, but I think there probably are some areas that we need to revise it. Marvin Ryder is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. So what areas of area rating should be looked at again? Well, that's harder for me to answer because uh, while I was intimately involved with things 20, 21 years ago, I haven't really kept my finger on the pulse of the city. Uh, so the question then becomes for the councillors, and I gather they're going to do this next year after the municipal election this fall, is they're going to take a look and say, okay, is this area getting regular garbage collection? Is it getting snow removal? Is it getting access to police? Is it getting access to fire? And if the answer is yes, we've enhanced some of these services over the last two decades, then it's time now for those people to pay their fair share. I think most controversially within the city of Hamilton budget is the question of transit. Uh, and so how do I, how do I uh, allocate that? Even places like Dundas and Ancaster, uh, Stony Creek do receive some transit, but it's certainly not the same as the old city is getting in terms of density of, of routes, what have you. What is the right share of that? Uh, and so this is going to be a knock em out, drag em out fight uh, on all sides, not just between councillors, but I'm sure there'll be lots of citizens who will rise up and say, this is the right amount, this isn't the right amount. Uh, and, and uh, you know, this is this, but it is an appropriate thing to revisit. My best guess is that fire, police, transit are probably the three that are ultimately left standing, if there's a few more in terms of services that just have to continue to be area rated. Right. I think those, those are the big ones. So if you take something else like uh, access to cultural institutions, you know, even if the cultural institution is in the old city of Hamilton, we all get to access those cultural institutions or those recreation facilities. So some of them probably should not be area rated at all. The question when it comes to police is if I am in a more rural area and I were to call the police, I don't have a police constable located a kilometer away from my home as I might in other places or take fire departments. Uh, we have full-time firefighters in much of the city. There are other parts of the city in which they have more of a part-time fire department, and they aren't necessarily, again, as closely located. But still, if you get some coverage, and one of the great things about the new city of Hamilton was that we went for closest station response. In the old city, it used to be that if you were in Ancaster and the closest station was just a half, uh, half a mile down the road, but it was in Hamilton, you wouldn't get any service from them. You had to wait for your own fire department to be available. Now we don't have that. So these are discussions that have to happen. They will be controversial. And as Lloyd correctly pointed out, I know there'll be people who feel like winners and losers. There still are people 21 years later who feel there were winners and losers when we did the amalgamation. Some of those feelings are hard to get rid of. Absolutely. Marvin, always great to catch up with you. Thanks for your insight and analysis this morning.
Glad to be with you. That is Marvin Ryder, professor at the DeGroote School of Business, McMaster University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The uh, Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group. That might sound familiar. Well, that is the consortium of entities that is going to be renovating the city's downtown arena, uh, the concert hall, the convention center. However, some of the details of this agreement are being kept under wraps and being done so for decades. Why is that? Well, let's ask the mayor of Hamilton, Fred Eisenberger, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Fred. Good morning. So the agreement is in place. Um it's going to remain confidential, however, for at least 30 years. Why is that? Uh, elements are going to remain confidential. So we, we've already released through a media advisory and uh, a media uh, press release and media sit-down with the media so for those that wanted to ask questions on, on the specifics of the agreement. So it's a 30-year agreement uh, on the uh, three facilities, the uh, the First Ontario Centre, the First Ontario Concert Hall, and the Convention Centre. They're going to take over all operations and operational costs to those facilities. That's going to save, over that 30-year period, that's going to save the taxpayers of Hamilton about $155 million over that time period. And they're going to make a full commitment to any capital upgrades that are going to be required as part of those facilities. So the convention, uh, convention facility is going to... Uh, be expanded and upgraded. That's going to be on the uh, the developer's uh, dime, as well as First Ontario Centre. And so they're uh, proposing to spend a minimum of $50 million on the First Ontario Arena. Uh, that is a significant capital investment that the taxpayers of the City of Hamilton will not have to bear. Two additional uh, portions of the agreement, which was also made uh, very public, was the uh, two locations, the Parkade and the Vine Street parking lot, as an offset for them to generate revenue, uh, get, given that they are taking over all the operational expenses that we currently are, are bearing, the subsidy, as you recall it, uh, and the capital expenditures. It was deemed to be fair that they had another revenue opportunity to offset some of those investments that they were making. And so the arrangement has, uh, has offered up two city properties for them to, uh, to redevelop, uh, and lastly, all the tax incentives that uh, that they're eligible for uh, are public documents and have been released publicly as well. And so, uh, you know, I don't I don't know where this notion of secrecy comes from, other than uh, the normal practice is in all of our arrangements, all of our contractual arrangements, that anything having to do with employees or unions or, or you know personnel issues. Uh, those elements are retained as uh, private and confidential for obvious reasons. Uh, Councillor Brad Clark intimated that the hidden elements of this agreement might raise the suspicion of some residents. Are you are you dismissing that that mindset? Uh, I, I don't I don't know what the hidden elements are. Uh, these properties have uh, never generated any taxes. We've always been the uh, operator manager of those facilities and or had a private operator operating them. So we own them. Uh, they're tax tax free. Uh, that status remains, and uh, you know the uh, the reality is that the private operator is putting in significant private resources, not on the taxpayer's dime, to uh, to operate and uh, maintain these facilities for the next thirty years. So there's got to be some sort of an offset for that, and uh, and part of that offset is some some tax relief as well as uh, some tax incentives that are available for their uh, other two property developments that are happening along York Boulevard. 
uh, those are generally available to any developer that uh, that comes into our city that's looking to develop today. And those those uh, those uh, incentives are slowly but surely peeling back as we see more incentives coming. But uh, those incentives are still in place, and, and they're eligible for them as they uh, continue to develop out the uh, the other aspects of this uh, overall agreement. So I, I don't have any concern. I I, I think the uh, the uh, the elements of the agreement are all in place. I will I will get to sign off on the uh, the final master agreement, which is nothing but legalese, quite frankly, but ensuring that the uh, the uh, elements of the agreement that uh, we just spoke about all the various elements are are clearly embedded in the agreement uh, and, and nothing more than uh, than what their uh, what council has uh, you know fully supported let's be frank this is going to be a great investment for the downtown and really change the landscape in the downtown so i'm really excited about it before we let you go uh we heard mm-hmm. yesterday that uh, bob Bertina has thrown his hat back into the mayor's uh, race and he's going to uh, want his old job back along with uh, former chamber of commerce president and ceo keenan loomis have you made a decision about your future as mayor or running again uh, I have not. The, uh, the official sign update is in May, so you know everyone's positioning at this point. Uh, May, May between May and August is the uh, you know the final date is August. The the first date is in early May, and sometime between now and then, I'll make a decision as to what uh, I intend to do. But I uh, I am very proud of where our city is. Uh, lots of great work has been done over the last eight years to get the city into a. High state of development, high state of uh, employment opportunities. Uh, we've marshaled forward on uh, environmental issues and water and sewer upgrades. I mean, so much has happened and so much positive, including, you know, working our way through a pandemic. And uh, my passion for this city hasn't changed, and uh, I have no doubt that uh, I will uh, will seriously consider uh, uh, another run if uh, if I decide that uh, that's the right thing for uh, for me and my family, got about thirty seconds. Does Bob's entry uh, alter your mindset or your frame of mind? No, not at all. I mean, I, I uh, you know this is a personal decision for me. I, I've uh, been honored and privileged to be uh, uh, the mayor of this city of Hamilton, and uh, would be uh, would be if I choose to to continue on. Obviously, work hard to uh, to, uh, to to be the mayor again. Uh, but, uh, no, uh, you know, those are decisions that everyone's entitled to run for office. Uh, if you're 18 years of old or over and you're a citizen of the city of Hamilton, you're entitled to run for whatever, whatever position is available. So I, uh, I would never discourage anyone from running, and uh, it certainly doesn't cloud any, any part of my decision going forward. Mr. Mayor, appreciate your time today. As always, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. Always a pleasure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, news broke yesterday afternoon on Hamilton Today with guest host Scott Radley that Bob Bratina is back in Hamilton's mayoral race. After giving it a lot of thought and observing uh, what's going on in the city and in the world generally, I thought that it would be best if I let the Hamiltonians know that I, I do want to uh, run again for the mayor of the city of Hamilton. Bertina was Hamilton's mayor from 2010 to 2014. He was also the liberal MP for Hamilton East Stony Creek in the uh, Justin Trudeau government. Um, he didn't run for the seat last year because, uh, well, he wasn't too fond of the federal government's 
um, funding of Hamilton's LRT project. He is he's, uh, against the LRT, and he says that Hamiltonians are increasingly concerned about affordability. LRT has obviously a big price tag, and he wants to play a part in making sure that residents' tax dollars are well spent. In view of the current situation in Canada with inflation, with interest rates, with the cost of fuel for people who are commuting or having to drive around the city to get to work, uh, that we need to look at a plan B, just in case circumstances force the government to make other decisions. There's going to be a lot of plan B thinking as well, because we know that a few councillors are not going to be running again. Uh, Chad Collins, he's uh, an MP now. Judy Partridge announcing yesterday that she's not going to seek re-election. We've known for a few months now that Sam Rula is uh, done with municipal politics and he's off to uh, other things. So there's going to be a lot of fresh faces around the council table uh, later on this fall when the municipal election is held. What a newer council needs and what a council in this time of instability needs is a veteran hand at the tiller. And I've actually enhanced my experience uh, in terms of being a mayor because of my federal responsibilities. Bertina, as you know, was the morning man here on 900 CHML for several years, 89 to uh, 2010. There are, uh, well, there is at least one other individual going for the mayor's seat. We know former Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Keenan Loomis announcing several weeks ago that he is, in fact, running for the mayor's seat. We do not know at this time whether Mayor Fred Eisenberger is indeed going to throw his hat into the ring for another re-election bid. But here's my thoughts on, on Mr. Bertino running again. I think this is a great thing. I think civic engagement is a great thing, and especially when you have an individual who has been a mayor of this city, he's been an MP, regardless of the, the, the political party, um, he's willing to continue to give back to this community in this way, and I think that's a good thing. I don't think it's ever a bad thing when someone says, hey, I want to run for whatever, school trustee, city councilor, the mayor's chair, uh, member of provincial parliament, a member of parliament, um, go for it. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of pressure. You get a lot of flack. Um, you get a small slice of uh, positivity when things go right. But more often than not, it is a very grueling job. So hats off to Bob and Keenan, for that matter, and Fred, if he decides to go for it again. Um, because I think the more big personalities, the more influential people uh, we got, let's not uh, you know mistake ourselves here. Uh, Bertina, Loomis, Eisenberger have done some really good things in this community. And I think that those three, if it's, if it's those three being the main players, I think that's a very interesting race. And I think it's a very exciting race. And I think that we have three very different personalities and backgrounds going for the leadership of this city. Where the city goes under the direction of each of these individuals obviously remains to be seen. But some voters... Uh, like the incumbents, whether it's at the mayor's uh, chair or city councillors, some people want a fresh face like a Keenan Lewis, and some might say, hey, you know what, Bob did a good job when he was the mayor, let's bring him back and give him another try. We'll say this, that Bob Bertin has never lost an election, so there's that as well. Interesting, interesting times here in the city of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's a great deal for Ontario parents and the right deal for Ontarians. It's a deal that provides flexibility in how we allocate federal funding. Flexibility 
that was critical to making this program work in Ontario. Premier Doug Ford announcing the $10.2 billion daycare deal between Ottawa and the provincial governments. This plan is going to see parents in this province who have kids aged 5 and under in childcare receive fee reductions of up to 25% starting in May, uh, retroactive to April the 1st. We finally have a deal, and here to chat about it is Rachel Vickerson, Executive Director of the Association of Early Childhood Educators Ontario. Rachel, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. We finally have a deal. Did you think this day would come? No, I was really optimistic. I was really hoping we'd get it done before the March 31st deadline. Still, honestly, I don't know why it took so long. I don't see anything in this deal that couldn't have been signed six months ago. Um, but still really glad that relief is coming for Ontario families and for everyone. Now that we do have an agreement, what comes first? What should parents be expecting to see? So as you mentioned, I mean, the first thing that we're going to see is the fee reduction starting, you know, May 1st or starting in May, uh, going back to April 1st. So hopefully that'll uh, come through pretty soon and that'll be through uh, child care centres and family child care homes. Uh, and then moving forward from that, there's also going to be another fee reduction of 25%. Uh, in December. Uh, uh, so we're ultimately sort of this time next year, hopefully people will be paying about 50% what they're paying right now. So when do we realize $10 a day childcare? Yeah, so the uh, $10 a day commitment, that's the same as all other you know agreements that have been met so far, is in 2025-2026, so that the province has to get down to an average of $10 a day by then. So sort of between that 50% reduction in about a year and then slowly working down from that uh, up until a few years from now in ten, for $10. So how does that happen and how does that impact uh, those who provide daycare? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's been a lot of questions about how we're going to do this with the current workforce crisis. So right now we have early child educators, you know, who are staffing these child care centers, who are professionals who've gone to college or university to get that education. And they're often really not making enough money. Uh, and they don't have the working standards and, you know, and to match their experience, which is really unfortunate. And it's what we're seeing that educators are leaving the field. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of optimism, I think, for, you know, how great this is for families that I've been hearing from ECEs, from early childhood educators, uh, but also a lot of disappointment because this didn't have the salary uh, expectations that they were looking for. Uh, it has an $18 an hour minimum wage for ECEs, uh, which is frankly just pretty low. It's not enough to live in most places in Ontario. Rachel Vickerson is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Executive Director of the Association of Early Childhood Educators in Ontario. We are talking about the $10.2 billion daycare deal between the federal and provincial government. Uh, the deal includes also thousands of new child care spaces. How soon can we expect to see some of those spaces cropping up? Yeah, so my understanding is that the, of that kind of 86,000 new spaces that are promised, some of those are already on the, in the pipeline and will be, you know, already kind of were in development and will now be funded with federal dollars. So we'll be seeing those pretty soon. Again, though, I think we need to think about all the parts that go into expansion. You know, you can't have these new childcare spaces if you don't have people to work in them. So we need to really uh, address the recruitment and retention crisis in the workforce because otherwise we're going to have spaces and, you know, no one to work in them and uh, no caregivers and educators uh, for children. Is there any thoughts to making childcare a skilled trade? Would that 
um, correct or 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 uh, enhance or entice people to get into the field, knowing that someday they'll make a little bit more money, uh, um, you know, aside from the $18 minimum wage that they are getting now? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting way to frame it as a skilled trade. I think so right now, uh, early childhood education is a registered profession. So there's a college of early childhood educators that's, you know, a regulatory body to the profession. There's a code of ethics. And, you know, early childhood educators do, you know, they pay professional dues, uh, they have a diploma, and, you know, they are professionals in every way except for the pay, quite frankly. So I think that a lot of this just goes back to how we value care work, you know, and that idea that working with children and working, you know, in a predominantly female workforce um, is somehow a bit easier or shouldn't get paid as much as, you know, some of the other skilled trades you might think of or, you know, some of those skilled trades, construction um, metalworking that are, you know, a similar, maybe a two-year degree, and then uh, some work experience. we got about a minute. Do, do you expect if things don't change with the pay structure that we'll be seeing fewer and fewer daycare providers because they're going to say, hey, this is just not just just not worth it anymore? Yeah, I mean, we're already feeling that. Uh, we're already hearing that a lot from the field uh, that people have been leaving, especially during COVID. I mean, childcare workers and early childhood educators have been working throughout COVID-19, providing childcare for frontline families, uh, which is, you know, incredibly demanding work, um, stressful, uh, and, you know, all the sanitization and the PPE that they've had to wear. Uh, so I've heard of a lot of people saying already that they're, you know, they're done. Uh, and I think they were hoping in this agreement to see uh, something that would bring them back into the sector, or encourage them to stay. We're not seeing that yet, but I'm not, you know, giving up. I think there's still lots of work to be done. I'm looking forward to the commitments of all parties in the upcoming provincial election for what they're going to do for the early childhood educator workforce. That's going to be an interesting um, uh, debate uh, during the election, for sure, to see what the next steps, at least from this province's perspectives, uh, is. Uh, Rachel, really appreciate the time today. Thank you for your time this morning. Thanks so much for having me. Rachel Vickerton is the executive director of the Association of Early Childhood Educators Ontario as the $10 a day daycare deal has finally been signed. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Canada, the EU, and all of our partners and allies are facing a defining moment. We cannot fail. We must meet this moment. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking to the European Parliament last week about the war in Ukraine and another round of talks aimed at stopping Russia's month-old war and invasion of Ukraine uh, is being held in Turkey as we speak. What is going to be discussed? What could be an end result if there is one? Elliot Tepper is a professor emeritus of political science at Carleton University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Mr. Tepper. How are you? I'm fine, Rick. Good morning. Well, ahead of this meeting, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky said his country is prepared to declare its neutrality, as um, the Kremlin has demanded. What do you make of this possibility? Actually, we've got some breaking news. The uh, important news is that, in fact, the two sides are sitting down together uh, in Turkey. Turkey's invited them, and uh, the president of Turkey himself, Erdogan, has opened up these meetings. The uh, two sides have met face-to-face. They've met for four hours now. They've concluded, and there's been some major developments, Rick. The two sides have each made some major concessions, although, of course, uh, 
what's being announced is often not actually what happens on the ground. But what's happening right now is the two sides have met and they each side has made some announcements on the Ukrainian side. As you pointed out, and this has been signaled for quite some time, the pummeling of the country has moved the president of Ukraine and his team to signal in advance of these meetings that they were willing to, uh, I won't say give up, but they, they certainly have been willing to change their positions due to the fact they need to save the country. And that's where you've uh, asked the question on neutrality. That was the question of the uh, reason why Russia would go into this unprovoked war in the first place. And he said, oh, it's because of NATO. And what we've just heard is that uh, officially, you know, it's part of these meetings that Ukraine has now said, we will not, um, we will not, they put it differently, we will be a neutral uh, country. That means we will not sign any agreements, which means we will not be going into NATO. And since NATO hadn't shown any sign of letting them in in any event for the near future, it wasn't a major concession. But they did say, uh, we have a formal proposal to go neutral, but we want guarantors. And this is where it gets tricky because the guarantors in effect give them an Article 5 <laughs> an Article Five reassurance, Article 5 being NATO's uh, clause that an attack on one is an attack on all. They've given up on that proposal and we won't join that, but we do want security guarantees. And what an interesting list of countries. Russia, the US, the UK, Canada, France, Germany, China, Italy, Poland, Israel, and Turkey. So you, these countries uh, have to formally agree in writing that uh, if we give up our right to uh, join NATO, the open door invitation from NATO, we will have these guarantees. That's a major concession and a major uh, ask by the Ukrainian side. So does that move the needle at all in these negotiations? And what about the Donbass region? Will that be swallowed up by Russia? Is that a bargaining chip that Zelensky can play? The other side of the announcement this morning is by Russia. And they, when they first went in, said, we are going in to denazify and demilitarize Ukraine. Denazify, in this case, means we want to get rid of the Ukrainian government. So they're announcing... Uh, they didn't say we're dropping that, but what they are announcing is we have achieved our goal of really degrading the military uh, of Ukraine. Now we want to really achieve our main goal, which was not announced as their main goal. We want to liberate the Donbass. So they are saying, uh, really, we were going to uh, change our stated position. Uh, we now want to liberate the Donbass, which means they want to gain formal sovereignty over it. That's not been agreed to by, by Ukraine, but they say, yes, that's something we can talk about uh, future arrangements. But the Russians made a very significant uh, official statement today from their military. Uh, Rick, they're planning to scale back significantly as a gesture of goodwill from attacking Kiev, the capital, and also some surrounding areas. Now, <laughs> we'll believe that when we see it. But it, the two sides have come out of this four-hour meeting agreeing to meet tomorrow. And on the each side, they've made significant, uh, significant comments. Wow, that is great to hear. And hopefully uh, we'll have um, 
you know, many more peaceful days ahead, and this agreement can be uh, come to fruition. We'll have to leave it there. Elliot, we're plumb out of time. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Uh-oh, Richard! <laughs> oh, wow! Wow! Will Smith just smacked the out of me. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. We've had uh, hours upon hours to digest the Will Smith-Chris Rock interaction at the Academy Awards. Uh, Smith apologizing to Rock for slapping him. There is a bogus apology making the rounds on social media that Rock has apologized to Smith. That has been debunked. No apology has come from his side of the story. Will the former Fresh Prince face repercussions for his actions as the Academy is now investigating the situation? Could he lose his best actor honor? for uh, this situation. Chris Janselovitz is a national online supervisor of entertainment for Global News and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Have you recovered from the slap heard around the world? No, I really haven't. (laughs) Uh, It it is so omnipresent in my life. Um, Everyone is talking about it. I guess I have to say we'll see what happens today. Um, Maybe the story will fall a bit from uh, the mainstream, but uh, people cannot stop talking about it, you know? There's so many different angles we can, uh, you know, come at this. Um, maybe we'll just start with your initial reaction as you saw what happened. What what was kind of going through your mind? You know, <laughs> I was thinking, you know, wow, this Oscar ceremony is so so nice, so so calm. Uh, you know, there's no real debacles happening. Uh, it, it, it was great, and then all of a sudden, this takes place. I was like, whoa, everything got thrown into a disarray. Um, you know, the rest of the ceremony kind of faded away. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, at first I did think it was fake. Um, I, you know, because the video when you're watching the Oscars, it's super edited. Um, it was very choppy. It was hard to make out exactly what happened. So um, in the 10, 15 minutes after it took place, uh, the internet was flooded with, you know, live footage from other countries, uh, stuff that was not edited. Um, so you're able to get a better view. Some were even slow motion. Um, I recommend you watch the slow motion video because you really see um, everything that happens there. But um yeah, at first I thought it was fake. Um, it looked staged. The, the the way Chris Rock's head moved after the alleged slap, um, it looked sort of planned. But then uh, upon rewatching uh, in slow motion, you can kind of see some spittle leaving Chris Rock's mouth. Um, you can kind of see some, some movement of his cheek. Uh, so it did look like, uh, yeah, he actually did get slapped there. And obviously the after effects of the, the verbal exchange between the two, uh, Will still in the front row after returning from the slap, and then Chris uh, on stage. Two wrongs don't make a right. That's how I'm looking at it. Who do you think is more at fault? Yeah, I think that maybe Chris stepped over the line with the joke about, um, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith's alopecia. I mean, a medical condition usually is grounds for, you know, no jokes. Um However, uh, you know, Chris and, and Will Smith are not strangers. They're friends. There's multiple pictures of all three of them, even with Jada Pinkett Smith all together. And then, you know, it's hard to say. So I think Chris was wrong. And I also think that Will really stepped over the line. Uh, this is a live broadcast. You know, you're, you're one of the, you know, top actors in Hollywood. You are one of the richest actors in Hollywood. You have a front row seat at the Oscars. I mean, you know, you got to maybe set forth a better example. Uh, the swearing, too, was really where I knew it wasn't fake because the Oscars are very tight, as you know. Um, you know, they're one of the tightest ceremonies in existence. To have two F-words, um, 
shouted in the broadcast echoing through the auditorium. Uh, I really highly doubt that that was planned. Christian Selvitz is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, National Online Supervisor of Entertainment at Global News, talking about the Will Smith-Chris Rock uh, debacle at the Academy Awards. What are the chances the Academy does something severe to Will Smith? Um, The most severe, I guess, would be removing that Oscar award. Yeah, um, I've heard rumors that that might happen. I, I really don't think it will. I think that's really extreme. Um, he again, like I just said, you know, he is Will Smith is is one of the top five actors in Hollywood. He's got immense reach. He's been famous since he was a teenager. Um, you know, he's got this crazy status. Uh, I just, I really would be shocked if they took that away. I don't know if they've ever done that in history. Um, you know, I, I think he would have to do something far worse to get that removed. He has apologized, which I think was a good PR move, um, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, so, you know, I think he's taking the right steps. I think the next step will probably be uh, an apology to Chris Rock in person. I think the two of them will probably end up having to work it out. So, yeah, I think that's where it's going to go. I would be surprised if they took away the Oscar, for sure. I would, too. Will Smith has apologized to Chris Rock on Instagram. But, yeah, that uh, in-person apology will uh, will be something to watch if we're allowed to see it, of course. The other question is, we know that preliminary ratings came out for the award show. Yeah. Just about 15 million people watched. Do you expect more to tune in next time around? Because Will will probably be a presenter of an award. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Um that's a good good question. I, I would imagine it might boost a little bit next year. People have really short memories, though, uh, and a yeah. lot of stuff is going to happen between uh, now and then. So um, maybe they might tune in. The problem is um, the best he would be presenting Best Actress next year, right? So Best Actress is one of the last awards. So if people can make it through a three-hour show just to <laughs> see, you know, a two-second, uh, maybe a two-minute speech by, by Will, maybe apologizing, uh, who knows? Um, uh, you know, more power to them. They can make it through the three-hour <laughs> um, ceremony. And and we got about uh, forty seconds on this one. Do you think this uh, situation is going to alter any of the award shows going forward in terms of what they do and don't do? You know, I think a lot of stuff happens off the cuff. I think that there's nothing they can really do to prevent it, short of doing a like five-minute delay, which I don't think they're going to do. Um, you know, it's just it's just part and parcel of these awards. You know, it's live. Anything can happen. Uh, we've seen weird things happen at the Oscars before, and I'm I'm 100% certain we're going to see weird things at the Oscars again. And that's not a bad thing at all. Chris, appreciate <laughs> yeah. the time today. No problem. Anytime. Chris Janselowitz, National Online Supervisor of Entertainment with Global News. You can check out uh, lots more in the entertainment section at globalnews.ca and 900chml.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900chml and online at 900chml.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.